Greetings, lovely listeners. This week's episode is a little bit of a special one for you. In honor of the one-year anniversary of launching our Patreon page, we decided to post one of our early exclusive Patreon episodes for everyone to hear. Previously, this episode was only available to those who were subscribed to our Patreon, but we wanted to give everyone a little taste of what you're missing out on. So if you like the content of this episode, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. There are 14 other full length exclusive episodes there available for you to listen to. We've covered such films as Terrifier, Obsessed, Clue, and most recently, I still know what you did last summer. There are also 12 bonus mini episodes that we do monthly where we count down our top three choices on several different horror topics, such as our favorite underrated final girls or worst kill scenes in films. And right now there are six episodes of a segment we call Talking Bodies, where we just shoot the shit about various topics in horror that catch our attention that month. So again, if you like the content, if you like this Megan is Missing episode, there are 14 other episodes for you to dive into. So again, check out our Patreon, links in the show description, and we really hope you enjoy, well, as much as you can, this Megan is Missing episode. Thank you all for listening and the support. Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then prepare yourself for it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Troy, I'm here. Just give me one minute. I'm currently toweling myself off after a 45-minute-long hot shower, um, washing the filth and degradation off of my skin uh, after subjecting myself to watching what is apparently a film. <laughs> oh, an, an, wait, no, but Roger, a, a night... Another night at the gay bar last night? Uh, my life ain't that exciting anymore, though, how I wish. No, no. Instead, we thought it would be appropriate to, you know, experience the piece of visual filth that is known only as Megan is Missing. Which, you know what? If you listeners uh, can't tell already, I fucking hate this movie. I hate it more than any movie I've ever seen. It's not a film. It's exploitation of rape and child uh, abuse and um, abduction. And I got a lot of opinions on it. And whoever made this movie is a, is a shitty person. I'm sorry. I'm so pissed off. I watch it once. I refuse to watch it again. Uh, and I got thoughts. So that's that's where we're at, Troy. How are you? That is, hey, that's where we're at. I am, I'm okay. I, I watched it twice. Um, I, I've seen the film. The, okay, Roger, I'm going to tell you the first time I watched this film, I I was very much verge, verging on you. I felt, I felt a lot of things. I felt a lot of things, a, a lot of things. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I guess a film is supposed to make you feel things, right? 
whether you whether they're good, bad, disgust, joy, a film is supposed to make you feel things. I feel like if a film makes you have a, a strong reaction to it, then it did something right. Um, you might not like how it how it went about doing it, but it did it. Um, but we're gonna get to that. But yeah, it's uh, we'd have to say this is our first November <laughs> Patreon exclusive episode because what what better way to kick off Thanksgiving? Happy Thanksgiving, this family. <laughs> in this family-friendly film, fun for the a whole child family. abduction and uh, rape and murder. Yeah, it's it's light. It's a light fair this week for all of our Patreon listeners. <laughs> Real light. But I picked it for a reason, and it it kind of well. Let's get into it. We are talking about because I think Roger's just aching to talk. He doesn't want to do anything except talk about his disgust for this so much i get i'm seething okay i'm seething <laughs> this is gonna be a good one this might have to make it to our regular feed eventually <laughs> so this is the 2011 found footage style film called megan is missing this is actually directed by a gentleman who i'm familiar with and if you are any fan of some of these television shows then you probably know this name because he actually has made a very uh a, a name for himself with directing television uh, s- series and television. It's Michael Goy who di- has directed episodes of some of our favorite television shows, including pretty little liars, American horror story uh, and ch- the chilling adventures of Sabrina, the teenage witch among other p- pretty prominent television shows. He is a pretty respected director out in Hollywood now, which you maybe people haven't actually seen this film, but um, bless his heart for for coming from Megan is missing to, to these television shows. Bless his heart, yes, absolutely. The fact that this was his foot in the door is upsetting. Uh, the fact that this led to a career is mind boggling to me. But okay, Michael Goy, good for you, good for you that you stepped up your game. Okay, so you can find the one thing about this film is it's a divisive film. People hate it or they definitely, I don't say anybody loves this film. I will say there's two camps of people, people that absolutely loathe this film or people that actually respect it for what it achieved. Okay. I don't, if there's somebody that loves this film, please go see a psychiatrist. That's all I'm going to say. But because it's his whole purpose, this director, one thing about this film is this director is very vocal, even now, like at, having directed uh, American Horror Story, having directed these prominent television shows, he speaks about this film all the time. And he is very forward about what this film is supposed to be and what he based it on. It's actually based on a real life, well, it's it's several missing uh, girls cases mixed into like one story. Um, there was a case of two best friends that went missing in the same town and it ended up being a neighbor that killed them. And then there was a case of a girl that was lured by an internet predator and, and murdered. So he, he, he used all of these true crime stories to, to weld this together on a very low budget shot in nine days on a budget of about $30,000. And it looks it, I mean, it actually looks cheaper than that if you ask me, but you know, it's, it's his whole intent with this film was to make people react strongly to it in terms of like he he was at a point where he was like very uh, troubled by how much freedom kids had on social media without parental supervision so he was trying to make a point to 
uh, to parents and to kids about, Hey, you better be monitoring what your kids are doing on social media, because there are people certainly out there that will take it, uh, take advantage of, of kids as we all know. So he, he weaved the story together of, of, of two young girls, Megan and Amy. Uh, Megan is 14 years old and Amy is 13 going on 14. These two girls couldn't be the polar opposite. If you tried, you have Megan who is very popular. Uh, she's very sexually promiscuous as we find out she does drugs. On the other hand, Amy is the timid shy girl who gets kind of picked on. None of Megan's friends like Amy. They don't understand why Amy is hanging out with Megan. And what ends up what we find out from the title card of the film, the film opens up with a little banter the two the two girls on their um, video camera doing a video diary. What we find out is Megan went missing. 2 weeks after Megan went missing, her best friend Amy went missing. So what is told then through Video diaries, webcam conversations, and these wonderfully Emmy Emmy worthy news recreations. Oh my god! <laughs> As we get the story of what happens, and um, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's not supposed to be pretty. It's not pretty. No, no. Um, I, I yeah, I definitely did my fair share of sleuthing. Um, on the project. Um, I did a little bit of studying up on it before I viewed it, but because I had such a buildup for like, oh, it's all about like the final 20 minutes of this film. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want to take away the shock value. Um, I tried to like avoid any, I won't say spoilers, but I just, I really wanted to go in kind of blind. Shame on me um, because it was a fucking assault on my senses. I understand, you know, his his motive behind making it. Um, I don't think that is a fair excuse for making a piece of shit like this in the sense of, um, I think it's highly exploitive, highly exploitive of real cases of, of, you know, there are specific cases they mentioned that this is based on. If I was the families, I would hope that they could maybe sue or, you know, take some form of legal action depending on how, you know, how accurate this is, because it's honestly, I find it extremely offensive and I'm sure plenty of other people do too. And, you know, if, if there was maybe more artistry to the craft, if it was done, I hate to say better, but better, um, and they maybe were a little more selective of how they executed certain things, then maybe I can see that, you know, um, the, the, the idea of this having purpose behind it, I can see it have it holding merit, but it really, like, it's, aside from everything, it just looks like a piece of shit as well. It's, it's, it's a poorly filmed, poorly acted, poorly executed project. I'm not a fan of, of found footage to begin with. Like, let's be clear. I'm not, I'm not someone who's like, oh boy, can't wait for the next paranormal activity. Like, no, they've never really blown my skirt up. However, there are a few that like stand out. Like, I'm a huge fan of the taking of Deborah Logan. I think it's a phenomenal film and it's bone chilling. And it's the perfect balance between cinematic and moments that feel very like authentic, like documentary style footage. Like, you know, it's a movie, but it still like has moments that feel they capture that kind of like gritty realism you want with a, a you know, a found footage project. Another one I really liked was The Last Exorcism. Again, it was a heightened reality, but they still work that found footage into their favor. It is not played into the favor of this specific film. There are so many sequences of just people talking into their computers for elongated periods of time. And, you know, it just feels like there's no purpose to it whatsoever. It's just like rambling, rambling. And a lot of the scenes do eventually come back and have some merit to them. 
But for the most part, it's just kind of like banter, filler, jibber jabber. And and it's if the lead if the lead actresses were stronger in the roles, maybe it would have some impact. But these two poor girls, like I really think he only he found the only two girls who would be willing to participate in this schlock and cast them out of desperation because uh, what happens in the final 20 minutes of this movie is unacceptable but whatever it exists we're gonna fucking review it we're gonna talk about it i did try to take some notes on a few things that i did actually find worthy of of i don't say praise but like positive assessment but overall like i i couldn't even bring myself to watch a second time mainly just because i just think it it Again, his reasoning for creating this piece of cinema, that does not translate for me. I, I don't think it merits the creation of this film. Uh, it does very much just seem like an, explo- an exploitation piece. It feels like you're watching a snuff film. And if the finale weren't so graphic, and so... If the movie didn't depend so much on just how graphic the finale is... Maybe I'd be willing to assess it differently, but uh, it left me with just it left me feeling like I did something wrong watching this film. Oh, I, I get it, I get it, and it's it's one of the reasons why I I kind of chose to do this film, and I felt like a good outlet for it was the Patreon because it's this the Patreon obviously isn't necessarily something everyone's going to be able to access. Although maybe, like I said, maybe down the line we will release some of these Patreon episodes that we think are good to our mainstream but i felt like this film is an important is important to have a conversation about not necessarily well obviously the content of the film but what the film is trying to say everyone knows you know this roger i'm a huge true crime fan huge that's my other passion like if i could start another podcast i already have the name of it picked out and everything it would be a true crime podcast i'm infatuated with true crime all i listen to are true crime podcasts if you see me running like exercising, working out while most people are listening to, you know, the techno music to get pumped. I am listening to true crime podcasts. So I was very familiar with actually two of the cases that he based this film on. And, you know, it, it, it is, I do understand like his point about coming to a realization of making a film like this because, I mean, this was made in 2011. It takes place in 2007 when social media was just starting to become a, really prevalent part of young teenagers' lives to a point where parents were pretty much relying on it to entertain and in a certain way babysat their kids. And that still very much happens today. The fact that this film, I need to get it out there right now, this film is a TikTok sensation. Like this film went viral on TikTok. If you, you know, TikTok, if you go on TikTok and do hashtag Megan is missing, you will find over 11 million videos of people reacting to the film. Um, And then in response to that, you will see the director, Michael Goy, actually responding to some of the reactions of the film, explaining himself. And he is actually a very articulate man. So I give him kind of kudos for being that much, uh, because kind of that engaged still in this film that he knows has such a divisive reputation where he is still willing to, you know, 10 years later, come out and defend the film or at least talk about his reasonings for choosing to do certain things. Because a lot of directors would not do that, especially directors now that are working on big budget television shows would not do that. They'd be like, fuck that. I'm going to pretend I had nothing to do with that. 
but he still does it. He does it. And I was just watching. It's so funny. Before we recorded this, I, I just was watching some of the reaction videos on TikTok and watching his response to him. And like I said, he's very articulate. Like you don't, you, he does not come off as some guy that got his jollies off of making this film. Uh, he really doesn't. I, I could be misreading it, but um, I was, maybe his intentions were truly positive. The execution maybe just wasn't the greatest. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. And one other thing I will say, like, stepping back from my rage and looking at this from, like, a realistic perspective is, like, at the time this came out and his purpose behind it, I don't want to say social media was brand... It wasn't brand new, but it was really just trying to expand into what it is today. I mean, it's omnipresent today. You can't avoid it. Um, But 10 years in, in the world of technology, I mean... A lot has happened. A lot has happened. And so if you look at some of the things that happened in this film regarding like chat rooms and things that like, you know, some of these things are not as prevalent today because technology has kind of just evolved beyond them. And there are certainly new means, new ways of, of, of predators, you know, seeking out and getting their hands on innocent individuals. But I do think some of the things that are focused on in this film um, are not as present in our culture today because, I mean, chat rooms, we've found a lot of ways to really target, identify, figure out ways to basically weed out these individuals or set safety filters for these individuals. Or, I mean, not saying this doesn't happen anymore that kids encounter people on the, the web and get into this kind of shit. But I do think that that social media has kind of just evolved so quickly that it's not as much of a presence as it was when this was first starting up and we really didn't understand it we didn't really know just how dangerous it was getting we weren't really grasping just how easy we were making it for these sick-minded people to 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 execute these plans so um i think that the 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 10 years that have passed between the you know the release of this film and now um a lot has happened a lot has evolved a lot has changed it's a very different world now um do i think that this movie is at least still relevant uh, in what it's trying to say. Yes, I will give it that. Like, yeah, I, I definitely think we have to be more aware of what we allow, uh, give permission, you know, to these children uh, to access uh, at this age. You know, I, it, I get what he's saying with that. It makes sense. Even with the time that's passed, I do think it still rings true. Um, but I do think that the, it already feels dated. It already feels dated. I'll say that. Yeah. It was released in 2011, but it was actually filmed in 2006. So it took a while for it to get distribution. I mean, obviously we could see, probably see why a lot of distribution companies probably didn't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole, but finally Lionsgate actually grabbed it. Anyway, so we can get into the, there's not, this is probably going to be a pretty quick review because the plot is pretty I don't want to say non-existent. There is a plot, but it, it's, it is a bunch of just bantering back and forth that we're not really going to dissect because there's really not much to dissect. The film takes place over a course of about two weeks. It starts on uh, January 2nd, and we get Amy and Megan in the cafeteria. And Megan... These two fucking stars. <laughs> These girls cannot act. Yeah. Um, I think that there are flashes of good performances in both of them. I will say, 
I, based on her performance in the final 20 minutes of the film, it's almost like two different actresses. I'm talking about the Amy, Amy uh, character, the character Amber Perkins is the actress because yeah, she is not very engaging throughout the entire film, but the last 20 minutes of the film, I think she amps it up big time and it's very believable, very believable to the point where you are feeling for her and genuinely disturbed because her performance based on what is happening to her is so strong. I just wish she would have kicked it up like that throughout the whole film. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that I think with found footage films, they're oftentimes dependent on very natural performances from the actors to carry the project to have it, you know, feel like it is actually something that is a piece of found footage and it can be a hit or a miss and and, and within the genre the subgenre it can it can be a big miss and i do think that when they are flat when they are wooden when these two girls are not hitting the mark it brings the whole project down yeah the the acting in this film is probably its biggest detriment uh because yeah there are there are scenes where the performances are just cringeworthy and you are totally taken out of the real world with because you realize these aren't real people. These are two girls that really aren't comfortable with acting. And it's coming through big time. And a lot of the secondary characters are horrible as well. But right away, like their conversation is about, you know, uh, Amy should wear more makeup and because she's a virgin and she needs to get some dick. I mean, this Megan girl... For 14 years old, 90% of her conversation and actions is about sex. And it becomes yeah. very uh, uncomfortable, particularly one conversation that that's coming up. But she's right away being like, yeah, you just need to go fuck some guy. And Amy's like, yeah, you're a hoe. And we're wondering, like, why are these two girls best friends? I do think as the film goes on, you, you kind of see maybe why. You see that Megan desperately wants a life like Amy's. And that's why she's cl- she clings to Amy. And in some ways, Amy, I think, is... I don't want to say jealous of Megan, but she... Um, Amy is so innocent. And and she she feels like such an outcast. And she's very aware of how much more popular Megan is than her. And that resonates, especially in some of the interactions with Megan's friends uh, and Amy. It's so unfortunate the way they play this poor character off. I've heard it a few times said that this film is the horror movie uh, vi- version of the movie 13. And I absolutely see that. It I, it feels, uh, I don't want to say it feels yes. ripped off, but like the, the archetypes of the characters, like the way they're structured, I would dare say, yes, it does. You've got like the promiscuous bad girl who has a heavy influence on the good girl. And that definitely, like, I just, you gotta say there's some form of an influence that came through, or an inspiration that came through here, because it, it, it follows a very similar tone. This one just goes way further with it, you know? It cuts to uh, two days later on January 4th. Megan is video chatting with some stoner chick, uh, and they're talking about drugs. And she's like, hey, did you get a, did you get a hit of Gideon's latest batch? And Megan's like, no, is it good? She's like, oh, girl, yeah. And she's like, he didn't give me any, I guess I blew him for nothing. And I'm like, okay, so. uh, Is this how children this age act these days? I 
I work with high school students. I'm a high school English. I, I mean, I'm a high school librarian. I was a high school English teacher. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I had some students that you knew were hoes. I mean, you knew it. These girls were sleeping with anything. So I, it's not unheard of. Um, but I, I think that like the director, I think what his intention was, was just to exaggerate everything. Like he was taking like a, a, a concept about like, oh, well, internet predators being out there and stalking kids. Let's exaggerate it to the hundredth degree. Okay. Let's take a teenage girl. That's kind of a bad girl, kind of a rebellious girl that sleeps around. Let's exaggerate it to the hundredth degree. Let's take a, you know, an innocent girl who's kind of a nerd and an introvert. And let's exaggerate to the hundredth degree. I think he just exaggerated everything in this film to make it that much more in his mind impactful yeah, uh, but it just comes off as as not so because then this girl that she's talking to is like, oh well, yeah, you're gonna blow him again. I know you are. And then this guy who is the dealer comes into frame, and he looks like he's forty five years old. This man is weathered. It's probably because he's selling all this fucking cocaine to children. But um, I like I I was I graduated high school 2000 2007 um and so like i'm if this was filmed in 2006 i was only a couple years above the age range that these kids would have been in this during this era you know if that's what we're looking at and while i wasn't necessarily i wasn't a bad kid i was sexually active but i wasn't a bad kid however i will say when i was 18 i got my own place and the the like black hole that that sucked me into in the sense of like when you're 18 and you have access to these things like you don't fucking care you're just out there to have fun you don't have an understanding of the world and uh that quickly brought a lot of other individuals along with me within you know my high school experience i had a lot of friends in high school who like of course they're going to take advantage of the fact when their friends has their own place at 18 because i'm still a senior um, and there was like a situation where my mom had just passed from cancer. My mom had a Oxycontin, all kinds of medications. And one of the kids that was, uh, that I was a friend with got his hand on some of her meds as we were, cause we we're flushing all of our medications and he, he pocketed some of them. Um, and was, and was, you know, and was selling it and ended up now he didn't die, but he OD'd on this medication. This was, he was a, a junior in high school at this time. So, like, yes, okay, that right there is an example of of kids in this age bracket getting into shit that they should not be getting into, and there is a means for it to happen. Is this pushed to an extreme? Yes, I would say so. However, I I think one of the things that makes it so uncomfortable is it doesn't feel so far from reality, so far from the truth. It does feel, like, excessively uncomfortable. You know, I'll, there are there are there are definitely kids out here exactly like Megan. You can't deny that there are. I've had some of them in my class. I know for a fact there are there are people there are young fourteen year old girls like fucking Megan. Watch 
the fucking what was that show? More, uh, Maury Povich, where he always had those young girls on. That were, I mean, look at that one bitch that became famous for Catch Me Outside. How about now? No, she was thirteen years. Catch Me Outside. Yeah. <laughs> she was thirteen years old. And you know that. You know she was selling her pussy for anything she could get her oh hands on. Oh my god! And then she got a single out of it, like a top Hot One Hundred single. Now she's a rapper, bad baby. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. Um, and I will say, like, uh, regardless of how realistic it is, you know, when you're watching. It, the feeling I take away from the film is it just it just makes me hate teenagers like in every way possible. It makes me hate them. none of them are likable. These children, yeah, none of them are yeah. likable except Amy, and they treat her like crap. Anyway, so when Megan is videotaping or video chatting these two two people, including the forty year old, her mother comes in and starts screaming at her for doing something, leaving the unplugging the VCR. I don't know what she did. And so right away you get, okay, well, this girl has a miserable home life as well. And the other two kids are like laughing at her and be like, oh, your mom's, excuse me, your mom's nuts. Your mom's nuts. And Megan's like yelling at her mom to get out of her room. And and then there's this moment when Amy FaceTimes in and Megan answers it. And all Amy asks her to do is she's like, hey, do you want to go to the mall? And it's like such this antithesis between like, you know, who she's talking to on the other side versus this poor little innocent 13 year old girl that just wants to go to the mall, you know, who's living that actual age that she is. Yes. Yeah. But on the other line, she has two girl, two people that are talking about doing cocaine and blow and blowing this guy for cocaine. It's such a, it, it's such a, you know, just like I said, an interesting dichotomy between the good and the bad. As angry as this film makes me feel, um, I like I said earlier. I'm really like I also wanted to focus on things that I thought were handled well in the movie or were executed well. And um, I thought that it was a very striking decision to have this whole sequence with Megan and her mother in this like massive like eruptive fight where they're just screaming at each other, and you just see how this like this home life is just very toxic. Um, that Megan is just miserable, and then uh, you have Amy you know, cut in and then it transitions over to her talking to her camera in this like really pristine bedroom, which is decorated like age appropriate. And her, and her father comes in and her mother comes in and there's this sweet banter between all of them, very like healthy, normal home life. And it was a really well-played transition from like very toxic, destructive setting for this one girl to this very, I mean, honestly, like, white picket fence, I don't want to say perfect, but, like, idealist home life for, for Amy. And I, I thought that was a really strong decision because you got a really solid idea of just, like, the differences between these two girls and, and how their lives are, like you said, polar opposite. And that's part of the reason I think they come together, you know? Yeah, and even at the end of, uh, after Amy, her dad comes in and talks to her about her birthday party, she's putting on some makeup and then she looks at herself in the camera and calls herself Princess Pudgy. So we know, again, that she has really low self-esteem. which is And that's where I think from earlier I said that the, the, the feeling of clinginess to Megan and I don't want to say jealousy of Megan because I think Amy in some ways kind of feels very happy that she's not a bad girl. I don't think she wants that, anything to do with that lifestyle, but I think she does want aspects of who Megan is. Um for herself 
Yeah. And the next day at school, Megan and her friends call this stoner guy named Ben to talk to him about a party that he has. Basically, he's like the big party dude in the town. And basically, Megan asks if she can bring Amy. And everyone's like, oh, no, you're not bringing that downer, bitch. And he was he even's like, what? He's like, no, you can't bring her. She's a fucking nerd. Oh, she's, you know, why would you want to bring her? And Megan's like, if I, if, she, if Amy can't come, then I'm not going to come. And finally, he's like, well, yeah, but you're going to owe me big time if that, you know, party pooping bitch is going to come. So, again, everyone's down on Amy. And this dude's a creep. Yeah, these kids are just awful. They are. This dude's a creep. Awful. And her two friends are, oh, God. Just want to punch him. Yeah. Oh my God. And they just get worse as the movie progresses mm-hmm. too. So the next day they go to this party. This dude, this kid, this high school kid's charging ten dollars to go to this party. I'm like, good grief. Uh, and everyone's paying it. So he's banking off of this party. And um it's basically this party mon this party scene goes on for what, seven or eight minutes. It's long. And all it is is just uh, shots of various kids doing drugs everywhere, drinking everywhere, Amy being ignored basically. Uh, she finally gets a beer and's drinking it. Um, there's a scene where she starts to get drunk, and this that forty year old dude comes on to her, and she's like, "Leave me alone!" And he actually he actually slaps her, like violently slaps her, and calls her a bitch. Yeah, this whole thing felt very exaggerated. Yeah. Then she goes to look for Megan and opens this door to this bedroom, and Megan is blowing in the middle of the floor. The dude's sitting on a chair in the middle of the floor, and, she, and Megan's blowing him. It's the dude that hosts the party, Ben. And just gleefully blowing him. And he's smiling. He's like, hey, you want to come and get some of this? I'm like, is this... I don't, I've never been to a high school party in, in, since I was in high school. I don't remember people blowing each other in the middle of the floor. Uh, uh, These children... These 13 and 14-year-old children. Well, that's not the worst of it, because next, the next scene is this Lexi broad that looks like a horse, the horsey looking friend. And this other girl that she meets at the party, this dude dares them to to make out. So they're literally sitting there kissing French kissing for what seems like an eternity. It's very gratuitous. The camera is just right in front of their faces as they're tonguing each other. And like I said, these are supposed to be 13, 14 year old girls until finally Amy pukes on them. Which I'm like, okay, good, Amy. Good for you. Yeah, she had a good aim. I was happy But they're like, oh, you bitch, you fucking bitch. And then it just cuts to the next morning. That whole party sequence, Troy, like, it needs like an epilepsy warning, first of all, because it's just, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. And like, I mean, I get it. It's it's a home video camera. They're children. Like, but like, it is just, it's, it's, I think where the, maybe the lack of, um, experience showed from from a filmmaker standpoint i know they wanted to look realistic but it just looked messy it looked really really messy and it was really hard to follow but uh there's even a moment where the guy hosting the party during like the the blowjob sequence when megan kind of starts talking back and he starts getting like physical with her and like i said this earlier but like this movie it, it it does a very bad job of of setting up characters that you care about um as, again aside from amy you're right but like you know i understand they're trying to make it a warning about the youths and like the freedom that they have and the bad the bad shit they're getting into but i just hate all of these everybody i hate all of these kids they're awful and i was hoping more of them would die to be honest because it just it doesn't 
it he doesn't do a good job of of giving you scenarios and situations where you want to root for somebody. Um, but yeah, thank God that Amy puked on that one girl because she was fucking so obnoxious. And and when she has her big monologue moment coming up, like we're gonna have to focus on that for a minute too, <laughs> because that is not an award winning monologue. Let's just say. <laughs> No, they, why they let her do that? Anyway, so it's the next morning, and Amy, call, Amy, and Megan are video chatting, and and basically, Amy, uh, Megan's, Amy's feeling like shit. She's like, I'm a loser, you know. All your friends hate me, and Megan's like, Who cares? They're all losers. And uh, Amy is like, Well, and Megan's like, Well, I'm the one that feels like a loser. You caught me blowing Ben. And Amy's like, yeah, that was pretty disgusting. And Megan's like, well, yeah, it tasted disgusting. And and Megan's like, but you'll 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 do it someday, anyways. You just need a lot of practice. And Amy and or Megan proceeds to go into this story about how when she was ten years old, basically a a counselor at the summer camp she went to. Let's be real, he raped her. He he made her perform uh-huh. oral sex on him, but the way she's telling this story is, I thought, very erotic. Like she is not ashamed about this. She is not like, uh, it's not. It wasn't. It didn't traumatize her. Like this is. She's telling this like she really liked it, uh, and it's very awkward because you're thinking in your mind you're telling the story about how you were 10 years old and this 18 year old counselor forced his dick in your mouth face fucked you until you choked and couldn't breathe and then shot his load down your throat uh uh, there's like a level of of bragging to this whole monologue exactly okay and that's what makes it really she like i said she she's not like it's it's she's not recalling it like she's horrified she seems very proud of this moment yeah this is one of the scenes that makes me want to counter his reasoning for creating this movie and say well you you didn't hit the mark because um and i'm sure he has a reason and excuse for why the scene is the way it is but I, I mean, I'm sure he wanted to make people uncomfortable. Yes, yes, I'm very uncomfortable. Um, but I'm uncomfortable mostly because she is so comfortable discussing it. And it just keeps going and going yes. and going. And it's so graphic. They're discussing the cum shot in detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, no wonder her mother is so fucking overprotective because Jesus Christ, this girl, this girl is all about it. Like, it's never treated as, like, as a, this specific experience this memory she has is never looked at as like for her a bad thing or a taboo thing and i think that was where my like real disgust sat with this is it just seemed again i'm gonna use this term a lot very exploitive um and it uh, just very poorly played like it, it felt very classless and dirty and like why are you having this child really tell me this story i know you're trying to say that kids are too over sexualized today i get it I understand you could have done it with about three paragraphs less of dialogue and it would have still hit home, you know? Well, and then Amy never even like Amy, you would think it would be like, girl, you were 10 years old. This kid, this guy was way older than you. He basically raped you, but Amy's just listening with fascination, you know? And she's like, Oh well, yeah, I guess I will do that sometime. And then they just end with, Oh, Megan's mom comes in 
interrupts, yells at her again. And Megan's like, mom, it's just Amy and Amy. And Megan's mom's like, it's time to go to bed. And this is when Megan says she hates it here and that she wants to run away. And Amy says, well, if you run away, I'm coming with you because you're my best friend. Another thing I think that misses the mark, honestly, um, and it's not explored enough, is the way that Megan's mother is portrayed. Because honestly, based off of what I'm getting of Megan, that mother's acting exactly the way she should be. I wouldn't trust that girl for anything. That mother should be paranoid that her child is fucking around and making bad choices because that's exactly what she's doing. I, you know, uh, um, maybe if it was portrayed that it was a parent that didn't care or was, you know, not aware of their child and the mistakes they're making, again, maybe that would resonate more or make more sense why things transpire the way they do. But it seems to me the only reason that this girl and her mother don't get along is because the mother is overprotective. Well, there is this next scene though, that kind of explains uh, Megan's hostility towards her mother. And it's Amy's birthday, which is January 10th. Now. So we are about oh eight days into the, since the film started and Amy got a video camera for her birthday. So they're recording this awkward video, uh, trying to figure out what they want to record. Again, some cringeworthy acting from both of these girls. Uh, I, I wish, I mean, I don't think they're, I don't think they come off as like completely unbelievable as friends, but I, I think they maybe would have benefited from like before filming and who knows, maybe they did. I don't know. I, I get the impression they probably met the first day they were on set together, but I think it would have been like a very positive thing for the director to have had these two girls kind of like meet, hang out, you know, bond, you know, for a couple of weeks, you know, before filming so that they were more comfortable with each other and more comfortable playing off of each other because there is this aspect of, oh, an awkwardness between the two of them where you can tell they're not completely comfortable with each other or know, or know how to play off of each other. So I think that that would have benefited their performances a little bit. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I think that, I mean, the goal with a found footage film is to make things feel and sound as natural as possible. And unfortunately, a lot of the dialogue here sounds like they're reading dialogue from a script. Uh, And it's hard to make that feel real, like something you would find on a home video, when it's very clear that these girls are reciting dialogue to each other. So yeah, oh, absolutely. Even when she's like, she's like, my brand new camera, my daddy loves me. Like, it's just, it it felt extremely scripted and wooden. Um, And this whole piece that you're talking about that she's about to go into, again, I understand the purpose that it's supposed to serve, but what if this is all you're going to give me is like shoehorning this extremely, I would feel, important plot detail into this, um, and then never really touching on it again. It, it doesn't feel, um, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's properly explored. It doesn't, it, uh, I don't know. Um, I get what he's trying to do with it, but I feel like he did it for the sake of having to have it. Like it, it's like, of course, it, it only, it only makes sense that this girl also has been raped before. So she like hates herself and she has all this self-loathing and, we're going to mention it, but we're never going to come back to it again because, like, that's all that they need is the, the audience. If they would have, like, 
cut down on that party sequence, maybe like, I don't know, 45 minutes. And, um, and given me a few more moments of like her resentment with her mother stemming from this, what's about to happen, really exploring that more. Um, because like I said earlier, the way the mom acts is she sure seems like she cares about this girl and is overprotective of her. This monologue that she's about to launch into does not feel like it has place within this story. Well, the mom is such a non-developed character. We see her like three times. There's no development. But basically, the, story, the Megan's being interviewed by Amy for her video camera interview. And she launches into the story about how her stepfather raped her when she was nine. And raped her basically for two years until he was caught. And when she told her mother, her mother did not believe her. And then now blames her because the stepfather was sent to prison for it. And then she makes this comment about guys like me. They've always liked me. I guess I'm a likable girl. And I'll do whatever a guy wants as long as he tells me he loves me. And then Amy goes over and gives her a hug and it just lingers on them hugging for a while. But it is very quick. I mean, we are just taking her word for it, I guess, because there's nothing else in the movie to ever hint at this. You know, if there was some dialogue between her and her mother that was sprinkled in the movie that would have uh, highlighted this a little bit further to make the audience buy it, it would be a little bit more effective. But let's be honest here. Megan has not proven herself to be the most reliable narrator for talking from that perspective. So who knows if this really happened? And you hate to question. I'm not you hate to question a, a, a victim. But I mean... This girl, I'm talking about just strictly from the plot. Like, there's zero relationship developed between her and her mother. And if she's saying that this was the reason why her mother and hers relationship is the way it is, then there should have been something else besides her just giving this really quick line about her stepfather raping her and her mother not believing her. Uh, it just, it just, yeah, it just came, yeah, like you said, shoehorned in. You're speaking exactly what I'm thinking, Troy. I mean, it's, what it comes down to for me is that I feel they felt they needed to have the scene and they put it in there for the sake of, of having this, you know, motivation behind who she is and why she operates the way she does. But they just, they breezed through it as quickly as possible, um, making it something that's kind of just like a throwaway plot point that really should be significantly more than a throwaway plot point. This should be something that was explored more. This character's personal self-esteem issues, her trauma um, stemming from her raping and everything could have really been handled way better. Um, and if you really like, if you look at like the story example f for the, or the oral sex story that she tells, and I think she said she was 10 when that happened, the raping started apparently at nine. Well now, I mean, and it is, it is a, a factual thing to say that uh, uh, people, you know, children who are exposed to this kind of abuse at an early age have a really hard time adjusting to sex. A lot of times they'll go one extreme or another. They'll overdo it. They'll abuse it. They'll use it for uh, to, to validation. You know, they'll, they'll use sex to kind of fill in the holes in their life, the gaps in their life that they're trying to kind of, you know, cover up uh, the, the emotional trauma that's been caused by this negative experience, they don't really know how to fit sex into their life in a positive way, in a healthy way. 
And I think they're just on the cusp of really exploring that idea here, but they definitely don't delve into it enough, at least for me as a viewer. Um, it, it, I wanted a lot more of that. I think I could have felt a lot more sympathy for the character of Megan. Um, and I think they kind of just threw that to the wayside. That is the problem here is that Megan is not portrayed as being a sympathetic character. She's the title character in this film. She's a titular character. And uh, you would think that there would be some more, uh, more of an attempt to make her likable, make the audience really connect to her but there's such this like there's just this emotional distance that is never bridged between her character and the audience because there's nothing everything is is it's all basically tell and not show you know what i mean so we never get any emotional side to megan we never get to see her really react or interact emotionally with anybody outside of amy but I, it would have benefited to to really try to develop this Megan character a little bit better to make the audience really kind of care about her. And so that when she does go missing, we're like, okay, uh, what? The, yeah, I'm very concerned. What happens? Instead, what I find myself doing is like looking at my watch and, okay, it's 40 minutes into the movie and this bitch is still here. I thought the movie is called Megan is Missing. You shouldn't want that. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, yeah. And things, things unfortunately transpire like, you know, she's going to go missing. But like, the way it plays out, it's like, okay, well, she she fucking got herself into that situation. Um, And if you're trying to put this on like the parents and put this on the people with the social media and everything. Honestly, if, if anything, it just kind of falls back on Megan, like Megan is resistant to her mother, she's resistant to, it seems kind of like, everybody in this film other than getting the approval of what becomes like a potential romantic interest she seems you know she does seem very dependent on the boys and how they um how they make her feel about herself and they explore that a little bit but again not enough yeah not enough well let's get there because the next day megan is videoing with lexi the annoying horse looking lexi uh, about hey are you gonna go to this party tonight and megan's like no i don't know and there is some awkward like conversation that was brought up earlier did you catch it about like megan and lexi like making out at some point because Lexi asks Megan during this video conference, if they can hang out again and Lexi and Megan tells Lexi, no, Lexi, I'm not very, I'm not comfortable with that. That's just not who I am. Did you catch that? Like this lesbian, like, Oh, I mean, it definitely, it, it all culminates in what is the performance of the year. But, uh, yeah, there's, Hey, she, she's at home. She's at home polishing her Oscar. What are you doing, Roger? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> watching this fucking pile of shit <laughs> but yeah no uh, yeah it was hinted at weird it was a weird choice but okay and it, like let's also acknowledge that like lexi is kind of to blame yeah for all of this oh, shit she's absolutely happens. to blame <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's a bad friend she's a bad lover and uh she's deserves her emotional breakdown that's about to come but yeah so basically like lexi gives megan the hookup for this guy that was met in this chat room, um, whose, whose name is Josh, but his username is was a skater, skater dude. dude, skater dude Josh. 
Um, and she she shoots a photo of him over to her. And this, this guy's a real heartthrob. <laughs> I'll tell you, like this, like, this this guy looks like every fucking like fourteen year old like punk ass like surfer weed smoking child I've ever seen. Well, he has that round face, this mop of blonde oh, hair. God. I guess maybe in two thousand and six he was a hon- he was a honk, but um. My, how far we've come over the last 10 years. Because, yeah, this guy doesn't hold up by today's standards. But okay, Josh. Hey, Megan is intrigued. So she thinks she's going to, she adds, she adds skater dude to her little, I, 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 her chat, her IMs. Remember IMs, instant messages. Okay. So then we do get a shot of then Amy going around her house doing a video diary. And it's just like random of her just showing off her house and being like, look at, I live in a nice house. Oh, I'm so happy here. Look at my stuffed animals. Look at my cat. Look at my mom. We live in Sherman Oaks. It's like her bragging. I'm like, okay, Amy, I guess. I appreciate this moment, though, because it really hits home just how innocent and inexperienced she is in comparison to Megan. She still has stuffed animals that she likes mm-hmm. and has names yeah, for her. Yeah, like her interests and her comments, her jokes with her mother, everything is very innocent. PG rated. You know, I was an Amy. Which makes the end of the movie that just more fucked up. But um, now we cut to Megan. She actually video chats with this Josh dude. And I got to say, I find this Josh dude, at least through his dialogue and his vocal, the way he talks, I find him very intriguing. Like if I could see myself as a, a girl being very charmed by him. He is super charming, I think. I mean, I thought if the film did one thing right, okay, it is the portrayal of this Josh kid through his voice because we never see him because this should have been a huge red flag to everybody involved. His camera is broken. But I love I love the, their interaction. He comes off as very charming, very witty. Uh, I just kept thinking, though, he doesn't really talk like he's a 14-year-old kid, but I could definitely see why a 14-year-old girl would be charmed by him. Like he calls her cute girl and just some of the stuff he says is just very charming. And there is a moment where he asks her to tilt her webcam down a bit. And she's like, "Oh, why? You just all you guys are the same." He's like, "Well, no, never mind. I didn't mean it like that, but you don't have to do it." But she does it. And I just find his voice and attitude like very appealing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of these conversations though. Like honestly, like Mm -hmm. there's uh, at least with Megan, there's two significantly like timely conversations where it's just her talking into the computer and you hear his voice, but yeah, you never see him. Um, And I will agree that he's like, he's charismatic and he knows exactly how to like manipulate the conversation. So everything sounds uh, very innocent and very like appealing to Megan, at least, you know, because if if anything, that piece of dialogue that she had earlier regarding her father, um, if it did anything for the story is it makes sense now why she's so quick to respond to him the way she does. She's immediately intrigued. She's drawn in. She's not at all um, resistant to him. She doesn't pick up on any red flags. Uh, This girl is definitely a damaged individual who is filling these voids with the validation that these boys are giving her. 
he's given her compliment after compliment, joking around with her, being very flirtatious, but in a very joking way that is really appealing to her. Like if you, if you've noticed her interaction with guys, the guys so far in the film, they've been all about, Oh, suck my dick, bitch. You know, you want some coat, get down on your knees. And this guy is actually telling her she's pretty, um, telling her that she's a sweet girl and that she's, you know, a pistol and that, you know, he has to watch out for her and just being very, you know, he's, he's really saying the right things. This guy, it was, we find out, this guy's a predator. He is a master manipulator. Well, you as the viewer immediately know that too. Just the way the way they hand yes. it out as a piece of as a plot point, like you immediately pick up on it. Um, and because of that, like these these moments, these pieces of dialogue, even though they're kind of bland, because it's just that one fucking perspective of her the entire time, and she is not the most captivating actress. It still makes your skin crawl. Not necessarily in like a cinematic way. It makes me feel like something I shouldn't be watching. Like uh, I, I feel like I feel like I'm watching an episode of To Catch a Predator. Okay, like it very much. It has the whole vibe of To Catch a Fucking Predator. It's yes. very calculated. Um, and it, it, I feel like I'm watching something I'm not supposed to be exposed to, which is, I guess, the goal of this film. Yeah, he asked her if she's if he if she's gonna go to this party tonight and he's gonna be there. And she's like, Well, I don't know, I mind. He's like, Well, I really like to meet you if you're gonna go. I'll be there, I'll be hanging out with my buddies. Uh and she's like, Well, maybe. Okay, I might see you there. And she's trying to play it off as being like she's kind of not interested, but the minute she she shuts he she disconnects from him, we see her excitedly start picking out an outfit to go to this party. And the very next scene is she messages Amy videos, Amy to tell Amy that she finally decided to go to this party at the last minute because she met this guy that's supposed to meet her there. And the next scene is Amy doing a video diary about finding a prom dress, even though her prom is not until four years. And we get all these little like 30 second, like video diary clips of Amy. And she's just really shitting on herself. It's really what she's doing because she's like, oh, I'm looking for my prom dress, even though my prom is in four years. And then she's like, well, who's going to ask me to prom? And then she shuts off her camera. The next day, Amy wakes Megan up and asks about the guy that she met. And we find out that Josh did not show up. She was at the party for four hours. He was not there. Amy asked Megan if she wants to go to a movie later. And Amy's, or Megan's like, yeah, message me later. I'm going back to bed. We cut to Josh messaging Megan. She's absolutely pissed. She's like, why weren't you there last night? And he's like, I was there. And she's like, no, you weren't. I was at the party for four hours. You were not there. He's like, yes, I was. And she's like, okay, if I was there, what was I wearing? Well, he was able to tell her down to the T exactly what she was wearing, which is creepy when you think about it, that this now we know this grown ass dude went to this party to stalk this girl. So it makes her believe him. And he gives this excuse about how she looks so good. He's like, You look so good. My heart skipped a beat. And I just could not bring myself to say hi to you. I just, I got too, too shy. And you are with your friends. Like, it's obviously you're super popular. And I just didn't want to come in and screw anything up. Again, this dude knows what to say. Yeah, it's pretty quick that he navigates the conversation and turns the tide. Um, because it's it's all about the, the whole conversation comes into like, do you trust me? And um, everything leading up to him eventually eventually swaying her to meet him. It's just it's very unsettling. 
Um, and he so quickly wins over her um, complete, yeah, complete trust in him uh, just just by knowing how to navigate the conversation, which makes you think, has he done this before? I mean, obviously, he's been on these chat rooms before. You know, obviously, if, if he was uh, suggested, you know, recommended to Megan via another friend, he's obviously chatted with her, you know? I'm assuming what we are supposed to buy is this, this dude's like a serial killer that he does this, that I, I can't buy based on what he does to these girls, that this is his first time doing this. I think that this, what we're supposed to gather is this is a serial predator uh, that has pretty much gotten down to a T how to manipulate and, and capture these girls. So obviously these aren't the only two girls he's ever done this to. Uh, he asks her what she's doing tonight. She's like, well, I'm going to a, a Matt Damon movie with, with my best friend. And there's this like little banter about how he supposedly is jealous of Matt Damon. And he says that, uh, he tells her Matt Damon looks gay. <laughs> she's like, no, he doesn't. Not to me. And he's like, well, yeah, I guess. But um, I'm just jealous that Matt Damon gets to spend his afternoon with you. And I don't. And she's like, well, maybe if you ask. So he does. He's like, after the movie, do you want to go out for ice cream? Again, very innocent, right? Something very innocent. Let's go out for ice cream. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. And he almost puts it into her, like he puts the ball into her field for a minute. You know, like he makes it seem like he's not too pushy about it. He's like we said, with it being very calculated, like he, um, he knows exactly how to go through this combo step by step. So she feels this level of comfort with him um, because he's not aggressive. He's not coming on hot and heavy. Oh, he's never. That's, that's what I feel is also very creepy because a lot of times you hear about these uh, predators and how they are just aggressively trying to get their prey to meet them, you know, just constantly bugging. He does not do that at all. You are right. He is very good about putting the ball in her court. He's like, we could go out to ice cream, but only if you want, like we don't have to, like it's up to you. Uh, and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do cut to her messaging Amy to tell her, Amy, after all, that Josh is actually a good guy. He just, he told me he was there, but he, I, he was too shy to talk to me. He's just really shy. Um, so they go to the movie, they come back, they message Josh after the movie and Amy's there and Josh is like, oh, I think I may have seen you around school. And she's like, oh, I thought you went to this other school. And he's like, no, I hang around at whatever school they go to because the girls are prettier there. Uh, and they send him another picture, which we never see, which I thought was weird because this is supposed to be like footage compiled from like all her computer. So the image would still be on the computer, right? So why didn't we saw one picture? Why didn't we see the other? But it's basically of him surfing because she's like, oh, I didn't know you surfed. Of course he surfed. Did you not see that first picture? Nobody I mean, with bangs on. like that doesn't surf. <laughs> yeah. Amy leaves and... That's when he asks to meet her. He's like, "Hey, I can meet you. I can meet you now, uh, if you want." And she's like, "Sure, where?" And again, this would have been a red flag for me because it's such a weird place to meet. It's behind a diner, behind a diner, not like in front of a diner. Not like, "Hey, if we're going to ice cream, let's meet in the diner." It's behind the diner. So not only do you have this dude that you've been talking to for a couple days now that you would think would have had enough time to get a new webcam or get his webcam fixed, 
But now the first time he meets you, he wants to do it behind a diner. Okay. But she agrees. She agrees. And this is when he stops her right before he, um, they leave. And he's like, you trust me, right? He's like, I would never hurt you again. Red flag. Hello. Anybody that says that they're going to fucking kill you. Just put that out there. Her eyes light up. Too. Yes, she, they do. Like you can tell she's smitten already. And this is again, like I wish they would have kind of tapped more into like her, her overall mindset of where she is at this point in her life, because her, her, her immediate trust in this guy is it's, it's, quick like she has no doubts and i mean there are girls like this there are definitely girls like this so to say this is not a realistic portrayal i mean i can't say that there are 13 14 year old girls i've yeah oh they're abs there there are gay guys in their 30s that are like this roger come on we know that uh but it's so it's not unrealistic it's just i feel like i just wanted more from this megan character i feel like her portrayal is very am i wrong in saying this one-dimensional there's not much to her and i just really wanted to care about her more i really did i really did and i just really don't because it's there's just not much to care about honestly yeah and i think that's why i keep going back to saying like i wish i had this i wish i had that like i understand this is a found footage film there's only so many places you can like believably throw these tidbits of dialogue in there and make it seem like it fits the moment but still like i feel like the i feel like the character of megan is just like it's like you dump this puzzle out this very complex puzzle but you removed half the pieces so we're not getting a full picture of who she is so thus it makes like it makes me care less like i watching the film i care less because i just think she's a dumb girl making some bad decisions i wish i cared a little bit more yeah and now we get to the next day amy is calling these bitchy friends of megan looking for her these cunts i very use that words but these are cunts i'm sorry that's exact note i have megan's friends are fucking cunts exact they note. are they're like, why are you calling me? Because your friend is fucking missing and she's concerned. Like, hello. And they just like hang up on her. They're like, nope, I haven't seen her. I got to go. Um, she gets home and she messages Josh and asks him. And he's like, no, she never showed up. Like, I, I, we were supposed to meet. She never showed up. So I, I don't know where she would be. And she's like, well, just message me if you hear from him. He's like, yeah, yeah, I will. And then he even uses some kind of terms like that she's flaky she seems like she might be kind of flaky it's very quick that josh starts playing like the victim with amy make it seem like he's his choice of wording is very um uh specific because he immediately makes it seem like oh she stood me up oh i think she just ran off with some other guy you know like he he's consistent with these um the way he words these things because i think he's kind of used to navigating these conversations with girls who are easily susceptible to him um i don't think amy is as dumb i don't want to say dumb but she's not as naive she's a naive girl but she's not stupid enough to fall for some of this nonsense that he's throwing at these other girls who are just looking to be validated you know amy doesn't need that she's not gonna buy it from him she's not had enough experience with boys she's too um innocent sexually innocent but doesn't mean she's not like aware of what's going on in the world and because of that she starts to pick up on things that i think megan did not you know 
Yeah, Amy is suspicious right away about Josh. The first time she talks to him, she's suspicious. Now we cut to this newscast. Okay, it's supposed to be a a, a like a a local access channel. <laughs> yeah, like a news, a public news broadcast, and it's called "My Child Is Missing." And we have this buxom blonde host, like a young Barbara Walters. <laughs> Yes, it's all about, this is all about Megan now. Megan is missing. And they're painting her to be like this wonderful kid. They're like, oh, she was active in her community. A straight A student. You know, I'm like, um, she was just blowing a guy in the middle of the party. I, I don't know about all this. But okay, I'll go with it. But it just, these these are so poorly done. These It immediately pulled me out of the moment because like i get it it's supposed to be in my mind it's a it's got to be like a local access or something because it looks so cheap and thrown together but it uh it it it, it removed some of the realism for me not to say there's a ton of realism to begin with but it just doesn't look like anything that really exists like the intro the intro to the my child is missing video where like you see like a, a little boy getting like it's like it's being acted out but you see this little boy get abducted and there's like a freeze frame on him like screaming it's like my <laughs> child is missing i'm like these things don't exist like if they exist they're done way better than this nonsense but like i think it i think they almost took like a parody approach to it kind of like making a commentary i would say on like on um, these kinds of shows, I, I think that has to be the case because it doesn't feel natural or realistic. But I definitely think that it is a, a a poor choice for the overall tone of the film. Because if you're trying to give me something that feels real, authentic, and touches on things that really happen, this nonsense, I don't need this like hokey, sticky, like, my child is missing. Like, Give me something that feels like Unsolved Mysteries or like, you know, something that feels like something I'd watch on a channel that feels like a real thing. This does not feel real to me. No, it doesn't. It's so hokey. It's so hokey. But Amy does a video diary at night where she's basically saying she does not think Megan ran away. There's no May. There's no way Megan would have ran away and uh, not told me. Cut to. Another news broadcast, but this is a this is a like a regular you know channel news where we are shown they they just got exclusive footage from the diner where we sh- we see Megan and it sh- we sh- we see it Megan being led away by a guy behind the diner and we see this like five times blown up to different sizes it's first shown us regular where we see Megan coming around behind the diner on her phone and all of a sudden this guy comes out of like left field grabs her leads her away we never see his face his back is to the camera the entire time and but we can tell he's old it's not a it's not a young kid this is an older guy but we see it in all these different frame sizes we see a hundred percent five hundred percent but we never see this guy's face but we now know that somebody actually led megan away who well who we know who it is because only one person knew that she was going to be behind this diner. Um, I find it amazing that they managed to make this news footage even less realistic than the previous news footage. And you've got like this young blonde delivering the news who's obviously never done a news report before in her life because she looks like a deer in headlights. Um, but it, it's, again, it's so cheaply done. It completely takes you out of the moment. And after like they wrap it up, 
She says, and next, a purebred cocker spaniel accidentally drives his owner's car through a store window. Like, I really needed that moment of levity in the midst of Megan is fucking missing. But, um, yeah, I will say the security footage, even though it is almost comedic that they blow it up three times, it is very true to these shows. I've seen this before where they're like, zoom in. Um, and it's, it is very creepy because it's completely silent. The footage is super grainy. And, like, you kind of see her face, like, the concern in her face. So it's, it's compared to the rest of everything that's happened already, it's one of the more effective moments, but that ain't given it a whole lot. I'll be real. No, I've seen, yeah, I've, I've totally seen these many times. It's actually, there, there's real footage that we've been shown about people being abducted, but yeah, we get that. We get this videotape. Next scene, Amy goes home and messes with Josh. He answers and he right away calls her cute girl. He's like, Hey, cute girl. He's like, she's like, don't call me that. And he's like, why? I think you're sexy. And she's like, is that you in the footage? He's like, no, that's some old guy. He's like, I told you, I think she probably like met him and skipped out of town with him. And Amy right away is like, no, she did. She's not that type of girl. She wouldn't, she would tell me like she would tell me. He's like, you two are pretty close, huh? And she's like, yeah. He's like, that's odd because you don't seem like the type of girl that Megan would hang out with. And he's like, she's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I think you know exactly what I mean. And she's like, well, just a minute ago, you said that I was sexy. And he's like, well, you're stupid too then. And basically he starts berating her. He's like, you're fat. You have no friends. Turns very sinister, very quick. It is one of the more terrifying aspects of this film, I think, is the instability in this character. And the the moment he realizes that he cannot manipulate her the way he did her friend previously, which is with compliments. I mean, right off the bat, he says, hey, cute girl. And she says, don't call me that. Like, like you know, like I mentioned earlier, she is not susceptible to the same kind of manipulation that Megan was. And so as soon as he realizes he doesn't have that power over her, he immediately goes to tearing her down. He starts insulting her, uh, her physicality, the fact she has no friends. And um, he just starts verbally abusing her. At the moment, she confronts him. And it just shows how unstable this guy yeah. is, you know? Yeah, and he's like, do you hug your teddy bear and pretend it's some guy that you like that you're never going to get? Megan told me all about you and what a loser you are and that you just follow her around like a lost puppy. And she is actually being very, I thought, like like non-reactive. She does, she does, it really doesn't seem to like sting her like he wants it to. Because he then she said, what did you do with Megan? He's like, he gives this like sinister little chuckle that I think is super creepy. One of the super, one of the creepier moments of his dialogue. He gives like this little chuckle where he's like, <laughs> nothing she hasn't done with a hundred guys before. And then he just hangs up. The fact, okay, a few things. First of all, I'm shocked that his username is still active, but okay. What? I mean, like I, I'm assuming that after you abduct a girl and people are obviously going to be trying to locate you, you would, I don't know, get a new username or just maybe go MIA for a little bit and not be prowling for fresh meat right away. But okay. Second of all, just the the fact that he maintains this communication with her, it's kind of stretching my reality a little bit, thinking that he would leave this kind of gateway open, you know, uh, for um, for contact with this girl. As soon, like, I would assume if somebody has done what he's done, he would immediately want to prevent any possibility of federal agency. Yeah. Uh, but he keeps it ongoing. And that 
seems like a stretch of like the truth or not the stretch of the truth but just like I, I'm uh, it's for the sake of the story that they're they're maintaining this because obviously you have to get from point A to point Z but um it seems a little far-fetched to me not to say that that hasn't happened before I mean obviously this guy is just he's sick and he's you know not right in the head but still like I don't know I feel like if this is something I'm assuming this guy has done this before I would think that he would make it a little more difficult for her best friend to reach out to him. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, you would think, you would think. But after she disconnects the call, we get the next day we get a news broadcast that basically tells us that Amy, Megan's best friend, has gone to the police and given them information about the last person that Megan was talking to online named Josh with the nickname Skater Dude. So now it's all over the news. Oh, this is when, after this scene, this is when Amy is doing the video diary of the places that her and Megan used to go, and Megan's cunt friends show up and start screaming at her. And this is the performance of a lifetime by Lexi. Lexi, who apparently, A, I'm sure she was the best actress in her local community theater, and really was waiting for a moment like this just to show off her ability to uh, break down on camera. Lexi really takes this moment and just runs with it, her full body convulsing with emotion and rage as she professes to Amy that she and Megan were apparently in love, a twist I did not anticipate, uh, nor is it further explored after this point. Um, but And I was like, love is like, were they really just good friends? Like, were they just very close? But no, I'm assuming this is tied into the plot point from earlier where Megan told her that she didn't want to hang out again. I'm thinking this must be like, I'm thinking Lexi maybe had a lesbian crush on Megan and maybe they like made out a little bit and fucked around. And then Megan was like, this is, I like boys, you know, as, as you do, as you do at 13, 14, I was there as well. But this girl's response, like you would think that she was personally attacked and all Amy's doing is filming locations that she and her best friend care about. And these two cunts come swooping in, uh, verbally assaulting her and given monologues uh, without any request to do so. It's very strange. Well, my question is, why are they blaming Amy for Megan disappearing? They're both like, this is all your fault. This is all your fault. And even the even Lexi during her breakdown is like, I loved her and she loved me. And now she's gone because of you. And I can't do anything about it. And she's flailing her arms up and down. I'm like, oh, God, girl. Weak in the knees. She's trembling. Like, yeah, it's a lot. And Amy's just standing there silently. Like, you can't see her, but, like, she's not responding. She's just filming the whole thing. So now that she's got all of this on video, including that amazing performance. But that leads, this moment leads to a sequence where Amy goes to a spot that apparently was, like, her and Megan's favorite spot under this bridge and she's got this she's got this goddamn teddy bear that she takes with her and i i get it it's cute like she's kind of confiding in this bear and she's talking to the camera about her memories of megan uh and amy one of my like one of the harder pills for me to swallow with this is it just seems like amy up until the end at least she really doesn't seem like she has the ability to express real sadness or like weep or just cry she feels very scripted and very wooden and in this sequence like it really felt like this scene just didn't have any purpose in the movie when you first watch it but then knowing what's going on in the background i understand why it's in there but like this girl just cannot express real grief or sadness it's really a hard scene to watch for me in the sense of her acting performance 
Yeah, she really doesn't do any. Yeah, it's very it's very wooden. She's like, this is where we used to go. And she has this teddy bear that she actually she hides the teddy bear at the at, at this bridge. She hides this teddy bear under the bridge because her mother made her get rid of it. Um, so now she keeps it under this bridge. Yeah, and but it, but you do if you do pay attention in the background, you do see this figure come up and like stand there and watch her the entire time. And once you ca- it's fucking creepy. Well, yeah, once you catch it, it's super creepy. I didn't see it the first time. I didn't see it until they played it in the video coming up. And then I, when I watched it the second time, I saw it, and it is very creepy because he's standing there the entire time. Well, it's so subtle. I thought it was maybe like. I, I, I was assuming it was just somebody, like, walking by in the background. Because it, it's, like, behind all this this brush, all this, like, shrubs and everything. So I thought it was just maybe somebody unintentionally in the background of the footage. Mm-hmm. Later on, they do have a moment where they focus in on it. And when you realize it's actually intentionally supposed to be Josh, it's kind of bone-chilling. Like, it really is one of those moments in the movie that does work very well and that's why i can look past her acting in this scene because now you know this dude is like literally following this Mm -hmm. girl yeah like knowing exactly where she's at and then the next day he messages her and he did change his screen name because she answers and she's like who's this so it's a different screen name and he says to her and again this is creepy too he's like you know exactly who this is and he's like you know you have a big fucking mouth and if you don't shut your mouth I'm going to find you and I'm going to find your mother. I've been watching you. And like, she doesn't know what to do. She's like stunned. So like she shuts off the cam and just, that's all she can do. What, what else would you do? And again, you get this moment that's super creepy, super effective. I thought like super like sinister. And then it cuts to a reenactment of Megan's abduction. Like what, what is this doing? Like what, do, 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 do they really do this? This reenactment, Troy, the, the actors, the interviews with the actors, the flashes, like during the actual reenactment where it's like, whoosh, 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 like the sound effect. It's so over the top. This is like my issue with like the news clips earlier where I thought like they brought an unnecessary comedic tone to the film. This takes that and like, amplifies that times a thousand it's so awkward and like again fake comical it really messes with the tone of the movie i don't understand why they took this route with it but it feels uh out of reality it doesn't feel like something that's real i don't either they're like yeah because they're like oh we're doing this because we thought maybe we could we could get some clues how how is getting how is reenacting this girl's abduction going to find any clues and then it's like so ridiculous because the reenactment is the girl's talking on her phone and she's like hi mom yeah i'm going to stop i'm going to get some groceries for breakfast and then this guy comes out of the, you know comes out of the side of the frame he grabs her and he's like hey you're trespassing and like grabs her and pulls her how the fuck is she trespassing she's walking by a diner and like these they've got these like amplified sound effects that are just like so over the top it really like you can't help but like laugh at it but like you don't want to because it's supposed to be a very serious situation i'm assuming but yeah it just added this weird comedy to the movie that like the movie did not need especially with what's about to come well what's about to come is a title card on the screen or a text on the screen that says Two photos were posted to a fetish site on whatever date it was, I don't remember, and they were so disturbing that the owner contacted the FBI, 
This is the first time the photos have ever been released publicly. So we get a shot that says photo number one. And you're sitting there waiting and you're like, what could this come on? What could this be? And I don't know about you, but when the photo popped up, I was like, holy shit. I do never want to see that again. Never. Never. It's horrific. It is. You know what? It's. It's It's Megan. It's Megan. It is Megan. Her head is basically in a contraption and her nose and mouth are being forced open by these, by this fetish claw. They use, you know, they use that, like, this is actually something that is used in fetish, but, like, this one is, A, obviously painful and grotesque, and B, like, it's just, it's cranked, like, it's like one of those claws where it forces you to keep your mouth open, but it's just such an extreme. She just looks like she's in a, the mix of a gape mouth, open mouth scream. And it's such, you're right, like, it, it out of black, it just hits the screen, and it's so startling because, like, the fear is palpable. Like, I mean, she looks horrified, but they, like, they didn't go to extreme with, like, the blood. I mean, she's bleeding a little bit from the nose, but, like, it's just the mm-hmm. the the pure terror in this girl's face. Like, it looks like, it looks real. Like, it does look like something it does you look real. found, like, in a crime scene. Um, and, and she's still alive. It absolutely. Yeah, it looks real. It absolutely looks real. It's, it's horrifying. That's the first photo. We get photo number two, and we're like, could it top photo number one? And it almost does because now it's a full body shot of her in this. She's on her knees. Her head is through a cut in this wooden thing, and her hands are through it, and she's it's planked down. So we're getting a whole It's like body what they shot. used to put people in, like when they would, um, back in like, like medieval days where they would put people into, I'm trying to think of what it's called. Um, they'd lock them down. They'd throw like tomatoes at them or like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's one of those yeah, things yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. so that she's on her knees and upright and her arms. Like it, one of the scariest things about this specific image, Troy, is if you look at her hands, like you could tell she's in the midst of like writhing and screaming because her hands are like clawed. She's not like limp in the wrist. She's, she is tense. Her body is very tense. There's blood running down her thigh. It's it's an image I never want to see again. And yeah, and honestly, like it, it, what thinking about it, talking about it right now, it's like making me uncomfortable, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they did anything right in this film, it is, and I hate to say this, you know, I don't want to use the word right in response to these pictures, but I mean, they they nailed the the intention of these pictures. They nailed it. Like it, they look 100% real. I want to know if this actress is okay. Is she, I mean, it's horrific. So now we get, um, Amy under the bridge for a video diary and she is really not saying anything, but she's reaching to get her bear that she has hidden under there and it's gone. And as she's turning around, this hand comes out of nowhere and, and grabs her and then just like freezes the frame. That was, um, man, when I realized like it was going to take that turn, cause I, I didn't know anything about this. I really had no idea where this was going to go. Very simple. What they did where you just see the hand reach towards her, but, um, very, very uncomfortable, very unsettling. And, and nothing to compare it with what's about to happen, but just like that's all you get. You know, you know at that point that Amy is now involved as well. And it's like, oh my god, Ugh. and just knowing that this is this the kind of feature it is, you know that 
there's not going to be a positive outcome. It leaves you feeling very hopeless. The moment you know Amy gets involved, you start to feel extremely hopeless. And it sits in you. It like sits in your gut um, through the rest of the film and beyond. Yeah, now we get a news broadcast updating us to the disappearance of Megan has taken a very uh, unusual turn because her best friend Amy has now disappeared. And we get basically this pink ribbon ceremony where those cunts are there putting up pink ribbons and they don't say a word about Amy. They're like, we're doing this for Megan because we hope whoever takes her sees this and has a change of heart and lets them go. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay. A fucking psychopath is going to see a pink ribbon and be like, Oh, I better go home and let her go. I feel bad about what I did. And then Amy's parents are interviewed. And of course they're distraught. You know, they just want her to come home. And then we get this text on the screen that says, this is previously unreleased news footage. And it's basically of police men scouring and searching this like uh, forest area. And they come across a trash can. And in the trash can, they find a video camera. So we get kind of a couple still shots of the policemen pulling out the video camera and, you know, various, you know, it's, it's in a plastic bag. And now we get the ominous, these last 20, these are the last 22 minutes of Amy's video camera. These are unedited and unaltered. And you know, at that point, it's just, it's going to be something very disturbing. If it's all building up to this. Once we launch into this, we're watching basically what happened to Amy and Megan. So it cuts to the video footage and it's very grainy. It's very much a video video type film. And we hear Amy just screaming, screaming at the top of her lungs. And all of a sudden the light comes onto the video camera and we see that we're in like this basement, but it's almost like a dungeon, right? And there's di- these different rooms and we hear, we see the guy walking with the video camera and he walks past this blue barrel that's outside the door. He unlocks the door and it's Amy and she's chained into this room. Um, and he comes in and she's screaming, Josh, why are you doing this? Josh, why are you doing this? And he's like, if you just shut up and behave yourself, I'll let you go. And she's like, just why are you doing this? You're crazy. He comes in and he like dumps a bucket of water on her. Like a cold, I'm assuming it's cold water and she's already in her underwear and bra. And you have to realize this basement's probably freezing. So to dump water on this poor girl and he's like, my name's not Josh. And he shuts the door. Okay. And then it kind of goes black and then it starts up again. And the next scene is him going into this room and he brings her her dinner and it's in a bowl, puts it on the floor in front of her and basically forces her to eat out of the bowl like a dog. And he taunts her with her teddy bear to do it. And she does it because she wants this bear to, for, for comfort and protection and it's just horrific to watch this poor girl like eating out of this dog bowl like a dog as this guy is like gleefully kind of chuckling and taunting her with this teddy bear and then it just breaks my heart when he gives it to her and she grabs it and it's just like cuddling it and rocking back and forth and you're thinking this is a 13 year old girl and you're right this film takes such a turn with now Amy being the the one that is having all this horrific stuff done to her because the movie's not called Amy is Missing. It's called Megan is Missing. We thought we were following kind of her story. And all of a sudden we are watching Amy, who is the 
more innocent, more likable of the two characters having all of this horrific shit done to her. And it's not even the worst. We aren't even anywhere close to the worst. Um, because the next, this next scene, I mean, I mean, we've, we've seen rape scenes in films before. Okay. We've seen, I spit on your grave. We've seen irreversible. There's, uh, no lack of controversial rape scenes in film. This one to me takes the cake and I don't understand why it's not more discussed as being one of the more brutal, disturbing, absolutely disgusting rape scenes ever to be put on a film. It's this scene, Troy, I think what it comes down to is like you hear the term torture porn brought up a lot, but this is literally torture porn. It feels like snuff. It's, it is, we're watching a we're watching a rape. And it's, it is, hmm. this is where this girl, this girl's performance though, in this scene is heart wrenching. Somehow this actress who has been pretty wooden throughout this entire film, like I said, was able to channel something in herself because her performance here is, I hate to use this word, but is stellar. Like you're buying it. You buy her pain you're buying her tears. I don't know what the director did. I really don't. I don't know what he did to get this level of just primal um, pain and 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 discomfort out of this actress. What did he do? Because he should have done something throughout the whole film to get her performance. Right. Well, and the thing that really I think is the most startling part of this whole sequence is, I mean, like we've talked about, there are parts of this movie leading up to this that felt very out of reality the news reports and all that they just didn't feel like authentic this there is a moment in the midst of a rape the way they set it up is you the camera's placed atop this device she's bent over she's looking into the camera so your eye your eyes are making eye contact with this fucking girl she's getting railed from behind she's not even really screaming she's just in agony she's you know moaning in agony but there's a point, and, and very, anyone who's been raped, I really hope that, that this has not triggered things in people who have experienced this. Like You see her shut down. You see the girl shut down. Very much what happens to, to people who go through this. And it's, you know, it's beyond the brutality of it. Because you don't see the penetration. You don't see nudity. No, no, no. The... Uh... Yeah, the camera is on her face the entire time. And there is the moment like you hear him pulling down it, ripping her underwear. And like you see the initial thrust, like she's thrust up again and you know he's inside of her and he gra- he's holding the, uh, he's holding the top of her head and he's thrusting. And there is that moment for the first minute where she is screaming, uh, crying, like telling him to please stop and just gurgling and crying. It's so realistic. And he's grunting away. And yeah, there's this moment as he's going faster and you hear him grunting that she literally just shuts down and her eyes go pretty much blank. And he comes, you hear him very, he puts his hand. Yeah. You put his, he puts his hand down and on it's the, covered in blood, the, the, the wood. It's just and like, because you know, she's a, you know, she's a virgin. His hand is covered in blood. My issue, Troy though, is like, as it stands with a film like this, like I, okay. There are plenty. There are plenty of rape revenge movies out there. Plenty of movies that have brutal rapes, but there's there is an element of. I mean, let's let's use for example, The Hills Have Eyes. Brutal rape. 
there is an element of it's a it's a revenge film. There is an element of characters having the opportunity to defend, fight back, and uh, act out against those who have assaulted them. This film, uh, it's literally forcing the viewer to watch an innocent girl get brutally raped. Um, and, it ke- and it keeps going and going in a way that is not at all enjoyable in any way. Not saying any rape movie is enjoyable, but at least you feel empowered when when the woman or someone in her name steps up to the plate and defends her or fights back in her honor or whatever you may you know experience in that film this has none of that this just has this brutal rape and and this poor girl she's like i mean she's a baby she's we're watching a child we're watching someone rape a child and this is the kind of like shock and disgust that i think people probably feel when they watch like um Oh my God! What is the what's the one uh, film that is so taboo? Oh, Serbian film. A Serbian film, like it's the same kind of thing, and so many people avoid that title for that the same reason. But this, like, she's defenseless. This girl has no means of defending herself, and she never has an ability to defend herself. And so, like, the payoff I look for. We've talked about this before, Troy. We look for that moment of of uh, in horror of that character rising up, stepping up and defending themselves and when you strip that away like where's the joy no i don't even say joy where's the entertainment factor where is the empowerment you know like again going back to what we said earlier in the film uh i get that he says he claims he has a purpose for this what have you but like does it mean that anybody out there fucking wants to see this like why why are you why are you putting this into the universe there are people who are going to get kicks off of this like, why are you giving them this material, feeding this material to people who, there are people who are sick enough that they're probably already catalyzed by this concept, and then they see something like this, you may be doing just as much harm. I hate to be that person to sound like a parent who speaks out against a Marilyn Manson CD, but you are doing just as much harm putting something like this out there as you are doing in your mind good, I feel, and I'm going to stand by that, because this is absolutely brutal. It's senseless. It's repulsive. And, like, I never want to see it again, the sequence. I never want to see it again. Oh, I get it. I get it. it. There's a couple of, there's several, there's a couple of scenes that I don't ever want to watch again. And this is definitely one of them. And I did it this time. I mean, I've seen the film before. I saw it years ago and it really stuck with me. Really stuck with me, especially these last 20 minutes. And I was thinking about what to cover with the podcast. And I just thought that this film, I, I, I just thought it warranted a discussion. So I forced myself to watch it again. And it still had the same impact. It's something I don't want to see again. It's it's like the scene in Hostel 2 with Heather Matarazu being killed. I can't watch that ever again. It's just so disturbing to me. It, it, this is the same thing. You are literally watching this poor girl be brutally raped and give in to it and then the next scene makes it even worse because he goes into her room to tell her she's going home and she is actually very like happy and like nice to him it's almost like the stockholm syndrome kind of has set in and she's like oh okay you know oh great we get to go home and he's he, he unbuckles her and leads her out and there's this blue barrel that we've seen several times okay outside her door And we hear him tell her, we're going to go home, but I just want you to get in this barrel because I don't want you to see where I live. And so we're like, okay, he's just like, okay. And she has her teddy bear 
and he opens the barrel and we get a shot of decomposing Megan inside this barrel. This body reveal is, I have to say, top 10, one of the most terrifying images I have seen in a horror movie. It is, I agree. It is singed into my mind. Um, her body is rotting. Her eyes have gone white with decomposition. Her hair is starting to fall out. Um, it is absolutely terrifying. It is. It is. I, I cannot think of a of a corpse reveal in a movie that looks more chilling and realistic than this. And I can't believe they fucking pulled this off after the nonsense news reports that they could not achieve. They managed to give us a body reveal. This fucking terrifying. And what's so scary about it is you only get a glimpse of it. Like the camera swoops past it just enough to see it for a moment but it is enough i assure you it is just oh my god and like that's all you get that's the closure you get with megan this whole time you've been wondering where she is she's been in this fucking barrel and that's it and and then he makes that poor fucking girl get in there with this body and like man he forces he forces amy to get in the barrel and locks her in so she's in this barrel with the decomposing body of her best friend i mean just think about that think about that for a minute the trauma of that not only what she's been through so far but now she is in this cramped claustrophobic barrel with a decomposed body of her best friend that uh, gets her in the barrel and then screen goes black and then it comes back on he we get a scene of him setting the camera down on the ground with a flashlight and a scene that goes on forever and bless this actor's heart for doing this (laughs) because this fucker literally we watch this guy for 10 minutes dig a hole that's i mean this is 10 minutes of digging a hole and from one angle from one angle yeah the camera's on the ground he's digging this hole for 10 minutes in the meantime Amy is pleading for her life, saying whatever she can. Uh, and she's there's a moment where she's just very like stoic about it. She's not like screaming at him. She's not like, but she is just like rattling off all of this stuff about if you let me out, I, I, I'll love you, Josh. We can be together. Who's going to love you more than I will? You know, I'll do whatever you want. I'll eat whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. Who's going to love you? Just let me out and we can live happily ever. And this is like this 13 year old girl pleading for her life, telling this guy who has brutalized her beyond what we can imagine. And she's in this barrel with this decomposing body that cannot smell good. And you can hear like there's moments you hear her moving in the barrel and you can hear like the water that's in the barrel swishing around with her. It's just so disgusting. And just having this 13-year-old girl plead for her life for 10 minutes straight and him not even batting an eye. He is just on a mission to dig this hole. And finally, when he gets the hole dug, he goes and he positions the camera to the other side of the hole and he grabs the barrel and basically tips it into this hole. And she is screaming. Now she knows what's happening. Like This girl knows she's going to be buried alive. And that is exactly what happens. He starts covering the hole. She is screaming, please, Josh, don't do this. And just at the top of her lungs, I'm going to die. Does anybody hear me? Just screaming, screaming, screaming. This is eerie as fuck because as as more dirt is being thrown on this barrel, her voice is getting like growing like more muffled, more muffled to the point where you can barely hear her anymore. 
And finally, he covers the hole and you hear nothing. And this is a 10 minute long scene. It goes on way too long, but I will tell you, one of the most unsettling things I've ever seen in my entire life is watching this and listening to this, knowing exactly what's going to happen. I, I think that was kind of, and I hate to say this, I think that was a, a very smart move because we know what's going to happen. We know this guy is going to come to and be like, okay, I'm sorry, and let her out and let her go home. We know that's not going to happen. We know he's going to bury her. We are sitting there wondering, though, when it's going to happen. You know, and the fact that he prolongs it for so long just makes it that much more uncomfortable. Well, and also the fact that he chooses to film the whole thing and then leave the camera to be found. Like, this is all very intentional, and um, I don't know, man. Like, I I had to turn it off at a certain point and just stop, because it's, it's it, for me as a fan of horror, and what we're doing is we, we you know, we're dissecting horror, and we're discussing horror, and yeah, this, this is definitely a title that we are able to discuss in depth and we thought this episode was only going to be an hour but like let's be fucking real like i i get why it's going longer this in no way is giving me as a viewer the kind of experience i want as a fan of the genre like i said it feels like i'm watching snuff and i don't like i don't look for that i'm not a fan of that um i i, I literally feel like i just watched an excuse to build up to what is a violent rape of a young of a young girl and that's all and that's all it's not horror this is not horror to me i, I don't think i don't think he's an artist um it, i think it's an exploitation of a real abduction and honestly i think if it's kind of sick i think that it's with this being the way the note the end the, that it ends on i i think it's a sick way to conclude the film and and it, it did not satisfy me in any way. I hope to never see it again. Um, and I think for him claiming that, you know, he made it with purpose, he made it with all, whatever reason you may, may claim, I'm sorry, I don't think you succeeded. I just think you just succeeded in offending people. Um, and I'm sure there's people who will argue me on that. But like, yeah, I, I, I never want to see it again. It's interesting because one of the quotes on the um, film, if you look at the DVD, the, the cover art of the film, there is a quote on it that says, this is one of the most important and must-see films for parents ever made or something like that. I, I don't know the exact quote. Look at the poster. You know, we, We're going to have it on our, obviously, if on the thing for this. But there's a quote on there that says, this is one of the most important and most must-see films for parents ever to be made. And it's actually by um, the Kloss Foundation. Who, which is owned by or which is operated, but it's a nonprofit uh, foundation operated by the parents of Polly Kloss, who was basically abducted, murdered, raped, buried. Um, and they so they started this foundation, you know, to help uh, parents of other missing children. They have a quote from them plastered on the front of the cover of this film saying that this is an important film for parents to see. And I just thought that was interesting because, you know, it is, I, 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 I totally get the, the, the idea that this is exploitative and trash and just, you know, vile. I get it. But I, I guess perspective is everything. Maybe I don't know. I've never had a child go missing. I I don't know that if I did that this film would apps would make me think, oh, well, I better show this film to other parents in terms of what could happen to their kid. I do think that, you know, the film, if anything, you know, I, I feel like go through, edit the film, make it a lot less graphic, show it to kids. 
for the potential of, of what could happen, meeting people that aren't who you think they are. I mean, and that, that even, that's even prevalent today, Roger, because look at like apps like Grindr, where you're meeting, you're meeting people based on pictures, you know, and there's been several cases, Google Grindr hookup murders. Trust me, they've happened. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. But I will say this, Troy, like if you were to, if you were to skim out the graphic elements of this film. Yeah. This film would be unwatchable. It would be unwatchable. And it would be on the caliber of the kind of films that you watch, like in your high school. Like, I mean, I don't know if you watched them, but we definitely like, there is the video of like reasons why you don't fuck around on the bus. And then it shows like buses crashing. Like that's, that's the caliber of, of quality we have here. All it has to make it stand out is the shockingly violent and exploitive rape and murder of these poor girls. And I told you, what did I tell you? I said the last, I said, I told you this like three or four times. I said the film, it's all about the last 20 minutes, 20 minutes of my life that I never want to revisit. If you're a fan of this movie, Hey man, you know what? We're on different chapters. Uh, yeah. It's worth discussing. It's a controversial film, and I just felt like the timing was kind of right because it has become a TikTok. Uh, it's become you know viral on TikTok for people's reactions to it, which is upsetting. That's upsetting to me. Well, no, you're, you can. I'm seriously. What, hashtag Megan is missing, and you'll see all kinds of people reacting to the film. Some of them, you know, most of the reactions are hor- horrified by the images. You know, it's, uh, I will say, you know, I mean, we just got to go by the director. The director said he made this as a cautionary tale, you know, to parents and children about what could happen when you are, when you let your kids just kind of do whatever they want on social media and aren't really present in their lives to prevent them from doing anything. And again, yeah, he took it to the hundredth degree, but I will tell you this, and I don't think, I'm not saying this makes the film, you know, any less exploitative or graphic but if you don't think this type of shit has never happened before i mean it has i mean again this this whole scenario is a combination of about four missing girl cases that actually are very similar to what happens in this film uh, and the one the, the main one i can't remember the girl you look it up if you just like look up megan is missing influence Real life cases that influenced Megan is missing. There's the one where literally two girl, two best friends went missing within two weeks of each other from the same town while walking to school. And it turned out to be the neighbor, their friend, their neighbor friend's dad is the one that did it. He buried one of them in a cement vault under his house. And there is the, there's like news footage of like uh, the news people interviewing him and he's like standing there by the vault at this, at that time had the girl's body in it. And it's just like smiling and talking about how he hopes the family finds her and all the whole time. The girl's in the vault. That's one of the stories that this is based off of. And then the other one is a girl that did meet some guy off of uh, a chat room who said he was a 14 year old boy. And he ended up like raping and killing her. So it does happen. So kids, please and even anybody, anybody using those stupid dating ass like Grinder and stuff, please, please be weary about who you're meeting. Don't just believe them because they have a picture of them shirtless and you think they're hot because you have no idea. You know, there's that poor guy in Detroit last Christmas that met that guy on Grinder and he ended up like, it's horrific. His name was Kevin Bacon. 
So Google Kevin Bacon murder. He met a guy on Grinder on Christmas Eve for a date, and the guy ended up killing him and hanging him in his basement, drank and eating him. Started to eat him. Like, think about that. This shit happens. So I guess if any positive discussion came out of this, folks, please be cautious about who you're meeting on apps and who you're meeting online. Stay safe. Please stay safe. Because you do not want to end up in a blue barrel. God damn it. With your best friend's corpse. It'd be you and me, Troy, in that goddamn barrel. Oh, God. Uh, only it'd be a way bigger barrel for us. But but yeah, you know, and maybe if they kept this film, like, restricted to, I don't know, like, parent groups or, like, I uh, maybe if they released it in a far more, like, restrictive way where it wasn't available to the public, I would, I would not be such a fucking bitch about it but the moment this hit like the hit the pop culture mainstream and is on tiktok and everything like that's when i'm like now it just seems exploitive and now it seems like you're putting this 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 material out there that's almost in some ways i think doing more harm than good and yeah and we'll just leave it at that i'll just leave it at that i i i, I totally kind of under i i kind of knew your react what your reaction was gonna be and i was just waiting i was just waiting I mean, and I feel the same way, Roger. It's not a movie that I get any enjoyment out of. It's not a movie that I want to watch ever again. However, I thought that it would be an interesting one to discuss because it's really unlike anything we've discussed before. We haven't discussed a found footage film and we haven't discussed this one, that a, a film that is just this extreme and, and, and controversial. And it, it has sort of, whether you like it or not, has sort of made some sort of impact on in pop culture like there's all kinds of memes out there with that blue barrel i don't know if you've seen any of them you probably have and you just didn't know what it was from um but it's from this film and you know we'll just we'll just leave it at the fact that it's out there you know it's on youtube there are literally and i normally wouldn't like you know be a proponent of films that are like pirated because these if this film these film this film is uploaded to youtube technically illegally However, don't pay for this one. Yeah, though. it's up there. There's like literally <laughs> 300 uploads of this film on YouTube. Yeah. However, the only reason I'm telling you, if you haven't watched it and you do, you're curious because we could tell you not to watch this movie because it's graphic. That's just going to make you want to watch it even more. Okay. That's how it works. The director does not care that the film is uploaded to YouTube by people. He says, in his opinion, that that's better than people not seeing it. Of course he fucking says that though. Oh my God. So he, he doesn't want, he, he, he won't fight to have it. taken. <sighs> that's why, that's why this movie has so many uploads to it on YouTube. He won't have it taken down. He's like, Hey, if people, at least people are watching it. I don't buy it. I mean, okay. He could, that's while he's directing Sarah Paulson in American horror story, you know? So exactly. It, so he could, he can play that all he wants. I mean, by the end of the day, he got what he wanted, which is a career off of this fucking smut. So like, it is what it is. Like, and I, we have one Patreon follower who voiced they're like i can't stand this movie but i'll still listen craig, to the episode yeah. craig brockett yeah. yeah and you know what craig i hear you loud and clear <laughs> you and i are on the same fucking page buddy so um yeah i mean and troy i will say this at the end of the day like i've never seen this movie i'll never watch it again but it's certainly provided for quite a unique uh conversation on like when we've had thus far so i appreciate you selecting it for that because yeah like i don't know if we'll ever have a conversation like this again I don't I think we will. Yeah, it, it's definitely a title that like I it's going to sit with me longer than I want it to, and I won't be able to get it out of my mind for a while. So go fuck yourself, Troy. But also like <laughs> I appreciate it at the same time. Well, you know, hey, like I said, November fun for the whole family. Oh uh, well, thank God the next one is 
fucking. I was gonna say. I was just gonna bring up the next one. Jesus, guys, a palate cleanser. A palate cleanser. So if if you need a palate cleanser and you um, you know, our next patron for November at some point in November is going to be Roger's pick, which is I wanted something light, something that took me back to my childhood, but still had elements of horror and traumatized me as a child. I can't think of a better movie to uh, bust out during the like, the holiday season. Uh, it's Return to Oz. I know it doesn't sound like our usual material, but this is a month of ballsy choices, <laughs> apparently. And, you know, say what you want about Return to Oz. It's a t- At the end of the day, I think it's a terrifying film uh, filled with stunning visuals and absurdity and nonsense and horrifying imagery that uh will give us plenty to talk about we wouldn't normally cover something like this on our on our average channel so i thought you know patreon's perfect because it, at, at its core i still consider this a movie with horror elements uh the original oz books were certainly uh <laughs> not light fare for i don't know how they're kids books because that material is terrifying but um, this this movie definitely takes L. Frank Baum's works and takes it to a whole other extreme. And it, and it, I, I really think this movie is going to be a fun one to talk about. It's crazy. It's crazy as fuck. So, guys, yeah, if you want to hear Return to Oz, that is for our level three patrons. So if you're not a level three patron and you're dying to hear our thoughts on Return to Oz, then you might want to up your 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 patron patronage to level three so you can hear it and you'd be able to hear like repo the genetic opera from last month because that's a level three patreon exclusive as well so yeah guys so thank you go so much for we we, th- we really thought this was going to be like an hour i really told roger like oh trust me it's going to be an hour because there's not much to say about it except the last 20 minutes it's going on two hours two fucking so hours. this is one we will probably have to release somewhere down the line when we don't when we get like if one of us is on vacation or something and we don't have time we don't have a week that we can't release an episode for whatever reason we'll throw this one out because i think it is a very intriguing discussion so you get way advanced listenership with this i mean like we're we're not saying next week months down the line you guys get early access to this one oh we're not releasing any of these patreon episodes anytime soon so it will probably happen but not for months down the line but guys thank you so much for your patronage we appreciate it and stay tuned for return to Oz or our next actually Next episode, next week on our main feed will be the film Unhinged with special guest Jay Palmieri Jr., who's directed a lot of LGBTQ-themed horror films. So we're excited to discuss that with him. So, guys, we're going to let you go because it's two hours. I need to eat dinner. Roger needs to go on and with his life and cleanse his palate of this film. Yeah, I'm going to take a, a third shower because I feel disgusting after watching that. But, uh, Troy, thank you for bringing that piece of filth into my life and i'll uh, never get those visuals out of my mind i hope you have a great night <laughs> all righty good night good night